Shalom Rabbatai. Good morning. We're going to start with our sponsorship. We have a Talmud Torah sponsorship this month for the Daf Yomishir in memory of Mr. Milton Martyr, Mordechai David Ben Raphael Cohen Zolman, his Shemayim and Aliyah, and a sponsorship from Shirley Elbaum and family in commemoration of the Yartzit of Shirley's husband, Gerald Elbaum uh, Zol, Yaakov Kopel Ben Avraham Menachem. Um, all of the families should have Nechama, and the Neshamot will have an Aliyah through our learning. Bezrat Hashem, today's daf is Nedarim Paz. Paz is the finest gold. The Gemara tells us that when Paz went on sale, all the other gold was worthless because Paz is the best of the best. So today will be the best of the best. Every, every daf is a wonderful daf, an amazing daf, a cathartic and inspirational daf. But Paz, maybe there's something special. Sometimes on daf Lev in the Gemara, daf Lamed Beis, you get to the heart of the Gemara when you get to Lamed Beis, which is difficult in, in Makos, where it doesn't go up to Lamed Beis. So that's, that's something. When we get to Bava Kama, just, just one more. When we get to Bava Kama, Daf Mem Vav, you'll find Shor Shinaga Chetapara, the ox that gored the cow. And that's Mem Vav, from Bosia, that's Daf Mu. And that was her last word. So when we get to Bava Kama, Daf Mu, you're going to remember that there's a cheshivas to the, to, the, to the letters of the daf, to the words of the daf. We're actually going to pick up on 86 on uh, Pevav Ahmed Beis at the Mishnah, because they were going to be covering this Mishnah. And it's, this is actually a very critical Mishnah, because we're going to see that when the husband is mefer, is annulling the vow of his daughter or his wife, he has to be specific to the person and the contents of the vow. So the Mishnah here says, Nadra Ishto, his wife made the nether Vesavash Nadrabito, and he thinks it's his daughter. The Ron says, They told him, Hey, your daughter made such and such nether. So he thinks it's his daughter. Or he understands, like the Ritva says, that it could be that he hears someone talking and it sounds like his daughter, but his daughter also sounds like his wife. You know, you get this sometimes, you call the house and your daughter answers, and you're like, Wait, is that my wife or my daughter? You know, assume, okay, you're assuming the ages are, you know, whatever they are. So it could be he's confused about that. Or Nadrabito, Savash Nadra Ishto, or vice versa. The uh, daughter makes a netter, and he thinks it's the wife. Nodra ben Nazir, she made a vow of nizirut. Um, and he thinks that she's designating a korban, that she's making something into a sacrifice. Nodra ben Karban, she's making a korban. And he thinks that she's becoming a nazir. So, or Nodra mitzainim, or she makes a netter against figs. She does not give a fig. And he thinks that she's abstaining from grapes. Or Nodra ben or she makes the actual netter was against grapes. And he's under the impression that it was from figs. So what's the din in all of these cases where there's a mistake? He can go back and mefer again. So even if on Monday he was mefer and he heard a mistake, then on Wednesday when he realizes it was the wrong woman or the wrong nether, he can go back and be mefer. Now what about being mekayim? So the Ron brings it to Sefta that who had din to mekayim also. If he was mekayim by mistake, it was the wrong woman, or it was the wrong object, or the wrong vow. He can go back and fix it. The Gemara says, "Lememra, are we saying Diyani Ota?" Now, this is part of the pasuk. Yani Ota means like he will restrain her, or he will annul her vow. So this Ota, Ota is the definite direct object. We don't really translate it into into English, but it means like Davka her. That's her. So Ota is that. Davka is that exactly her, meaning he has to always know and be specific to exactly which woman he's annulling. Now, we actually had a case a few weeks ago. We brought the same puzzle, like, what if the man has two wives? Can he annul both of their nadarim at the same time? And they left it as, I think the Gemara left it as a Shiloh there because it says, Ota, maybe that's singular. It means just, just one girl. Maybe he has to annul them individually. 
even if both of his wives became a, a Nazirim Nazirot together, maybe he'd have to do it individually. So Ata could be Davka, this one woman. If it's his wife, he has to have specific Kavana, Lashem Yehud, to annul the vow of his wife. If it's daughter, specific to his daughter. So is it Davka who? Vaha, top of Paz, top of the gold or both sides. Vaha, but we see Gabe crime by tearing Kriya, Lo Aleinu, we shouldn't have to do, uh, when somebody passes away. And we're going to see not only when somebody in our family, in someone's family, passes away, but if you're in the same room when a Jew passes away, if you're there in the Cheder, Bishat Yitzit Neshama, even if it's not a relative, and also if you see, God forbid, a Sefer Torah destroyed, there's an Indian of Kriya. There's an interesting, uh, Rabbi Avadi Yosef, that's all. So he said that there's a minhag when a Sefer Torah falls on the ground. There's a minhag to fast. And he said, but the problem is people, they're fasting, but they still go to work and they go to business and they're taking calls and they're doing all this stuff and they're not really getting the ikr, the Indian of, of the tshuva, of what they're supposed to be metakin. I mean, even if you didn't drop the safer to our God, but you saw it drop, that's, that's a wake-up call. So Avadia said, if it were up to him, he would say, let's let people eat, but they need to go to shul all day, base medrash all day, and they need to learn and they need to daven and to hillam and they need to really introspect and fix it. He said, but the minag is to fast. So he says, what am I going to do? I can't change the minag. So you see, he really, Ravadi Yosef was really, uh, I, I don't know, he was really, really humble in that matter. Anyway, so that's kriya, tearing. And we're going to bring a pasuk that shows that tearing is person-specific. So this ota by the woman, by hafara, is person-specific. And so too, by tearing kriya, dixiv, all, all. Like it says, on, on. So on a person, on a person, dixiv, the pasuk says, al shol v'al yehonatan b'no, that David the Melech, and he was just becoming the Melech here, when he heard the news that Shaul and Yehonatan had died in war, he tore Kriya on Shaul and on Yehonatan. So we see that Kriya has to be person-specific. Now this is actually, we, I will tell you, I admit, in Dafyomi we were going so fast, we really do not have time to look at the Pesukim, but uh, it's really Kedai to look at these Pesukim, and this is the very first parak in Shmuel Beit, and the very last parak is called Aleph. And it's a really interesting place where they switch over from Aleph to Beit because the last parak, parak 31 in Shmuel Aleph, is talking about the war uh, where Shaul died. Shaul and his three sons died in this war against the Plishtim. And it's, we, we don't have time to get into the intricacies here, but Shaul says to his armor bearer, Shalof Charbacha, draw your sword, Vidokreni, and kill me. So he's telling his, his Jewish attendant to finish him off after he'd been shot by arrows from the, from the Philistines, uh, lest the uncircumcised come, uh, come and get me, and they're going to torture me, and they're going to make sport of me, and they're going to use me as propaganda. Uh, his armor bearer didn't do that. Shaul fell on his sword. It sounds like he was already mortally wounded. He was going to die, and he knew that if the enemy captured him, they would get intel, and they would get a propaganda victory, and they'd parade him around, mm-hmm. like the police team did to Shimshon later on. And so he, it sounds like he killed him earlier, actually, Shimshon was earlier. It sounds like he killed himself. But in the first parak of Shmuel Bet, what happens is this Nar, this young man, comes from the war, and he escapes from this battle. He comes to David the Melech to tell him the news, but he says something different. He doesn't say what it said at the end of Shmuel Aleph, this, this Nar Amaleki. I don't know if he's really Amaleki. It's really strange. They might be calling him an Amaleki because what he did was terrible, or he, maybe he was from Amalek or second cousin to Amalek. I don't know. But what he tells David Amalek, and this is right where this puzzle all, all is, he tells him that what happened was that Shaul was mortally injured, 
and asked this nar, this young man, to finish him off, and so he did. He said, so he said and it was terrible, and I didn't want to do it, but I killed Shaul Melech. And that's, that's right with this puzzle, all, all that W and his people, they, they ripped Kriya, and they fasted, and they mourned on Shaul, on the, and on Yehonatan, his son, and all, and all the Jewish soldiers that had fallen. And then what happens was this guy who told David Melech, he's the bearer of bad news, and he also stretched his hand against the king of, of Israel, and David Melech has him killed, has him killed. And I think what's going on here, and I really didn't have time to look at the Farshim, but I think what's going on is this Nar Amaleki, this bearer of bad news, the prototypical bearer of bad news, I think he was bragging and boasting and trying to curry favor with David Melech. Because remember, Shaul, for you know, a big portion of Shmuel Aleph, Shaul was chasing David Melech. Shaul was chasing David. He was a rival to the throne. Shaul many times tried to kill David Melech. David Melech three times could have killed Shaul and didn't. So this Nara Maleki knows that Shaul was a threat to David Melech and he wants to, to curry favor with David Melech and get in good with the new king. So he's telling him, yeah, I finished off Shaul, thinking that that's going to make David you know, accept this young man and promote him and give him prestige, but the opposite. David was very upset that Shaul had died. He didn't want Shaul to die. So he said that David Melech, even though Shaul was out to get him, didn't take it personally. And that's one of the reasons that he was Zoche to Malchut. And, and we see in this passage that he mourned Shaul and Yehonatan. Yehonatan was his best friend. It was Avashlot Libidavar. The Gemara explains that there was never a closer friendship, even though they were potentially rivals to the throne, that Yehonatan really loved David and vice versa. And so he mourned uh, Shaul Melech, just like he mourned his best friend, Yehonatan. Now, it's interesting, even though there was so much mourning, that there was a problem later on. And you might remember from Yevamot. Yevamot seems like it was forever ago. But this is Yevamot Ayin Chet. And it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a very intense Gemara. There was a, a famine, a horrible famine. People were dying, and they checked. There were no sins. There were no pledges to tzedakah outstanding. So David the Melech said, it must be my fault. And so he consulted the Orim Vitzurim, and they said it was all Shaol v'al Alasher Dam Hamita Givonim. They said it was because of Shaol and the Givonim. And so what was it wrong with Shaol? Al Shoshalo Nifsod Kechalacha, that they didn't have a proper hesped for Shaol. Now it's interesting because we just saw this passage all, all they tore Kriya, they fasted, they mourned. David Melech composes a song about the battle and about Shaol and his sons falling in battle. It sounds like they mourned, but what happened was. David Melech at that time wasn't the king over everyone. He was he was king in Hebron, and he had his own he had his own like like army and his own situation going on. But he wasn't the king over everyone operating from Yerushalayim. So now they went back and they made another hesped for Shaul with everyone involved. So we see that the Melech needs everyone involved, acknowledging acknowledging what they did. Uh, it's, it's inspirational. Then about the Givonim, we really don't have time today. But the Givonim, remember, were the water bearers for the Kohanim, and when Shaul when Shaul Melch had destroyed Novi or Kohanim, they lost their job, and they were unemployed. And we recall from this Gemara in Yevamot, Yevamot Ayin Chet, they demanded revenge. They demanded that David Melch murder and, and hang up, string up some of the grandchildren of Shaul Melch. And David Melch consulted Hashem, consulted already to him, and prophetically he was told to go ahead and do it, and it became, it was a, it was, Halachically, not a great thing. It's revenge. Revenge is also the right to, but it became a Kiddush Hashem because they, the Gemara explains that so many people in the nation saw that in, in Jewish society, no one's above the law, that there is justice, that it's not like they do a little investigation and then, wait, well, we didn't see anything wrong, we didn't do anything wrong, we didn't identify anyone who did anything wrong. No, that 
So when something goes wrong, the people in power are accountable. And that was such a kiddush Hashem that a lot of other non-Jews converted to Judaism. And at that time, David Melech was gozer on the Givonim, the Natinim, that they could not marry Jews because they were the ones demanding revenge. So that's, that's good homework for Shabbos. Yivamot ayin chet, ayin tet. But it's interesting because here there's, there's mourning on, on Shaul and on Yehonatan, but then later on it says they needed another hesbeth. They needed another mourning. That's the Gemara and Yivamot. Great. So we haven't got too far, but okay. We're on the second line on the top of Pei Zion. So there was Kriya, Davka, on each individual. And the Rush says, the first words of the Rush on the, on the, in the bottom right corner, Shemina Minah, we learned from here, De'al kolmet tzarech on each individual nifter, each individual uh, death, a person needs to tear. Lo'aleinu, but if somebody hears that two people died at the same time, then it would be two, two kriot. Vitanya, and there's a b'risa, and, and the Ran says this b'risa supports what we're saying. Amrulo mate aviv, they tell him his father died, the kvara, and he tears his garment. Acharkach, and then afterwards, nimsa b'no, it was God forbid, lo'aleinu, it was his son. So he, he think, he's under the impression it's father, he tears kriot, tears his garment, but it was the wrong person. Yatsa yade kriya. He's yotza. He doesn't have to go back and tear again. Amre loikasha. They say, no, that's not a contradiction. Ha bestam ha bemefarsh. The writer here says, if they just told him, your relative died or he died. And what this man thinks, he says, oh my gosh, his, his father is elderly. He's in the ICU. He's already in a bad situation. He assumes it's his father. So they say, oh, he died. And they see rips thinking it's his father, but he doesn't know. They didn't say it's his father. And it turns out it's his son. God forbid, lo Elenu. So then he's still Yotze because he was head stop. He didn't have a specific dot to be ripping Kriya for his father. He was ripping Kriya on his relative. And then it turns out it was the son and not the father. It was the brother and not the father. So, okay, he's Yotze. Betanya, and there's a Bryce like this. Amrulo mate Aviv. They told him his father died, the Korah. And he tears, he rends his garment. Acharkach, and then afterwards, Nimsa Beno, it turns out Godfrey was the son. Lo Yotze Yedei Kriya, then he's not Yotze. So that's when they told him it's his father. So he has Kavana in his mind, he thinks it's his father when he tears the garment. Amru Lo, they told him, mate Lo mate, he died. But they say, your relative died, he died. So he assumes, he might assume it's his father who's in the ICU. Because Savar Aviv, who he thinks it's the father, but Kara, he rends his garments. Acharkach Nimsa Beno, it turns out God forbid it was his son, it was someone else. Yotze de Kriya, he's Yotze, because he didn't have specific intention. So we see from here, this all, all about Kriya, the same din might apply to Otah, by the woman that the man is being, is being made for another, whether it's the, the daughter or the wife. So maybe you don't need to know exactly who it is. So why is our Mishnah saying you have to know exactly who it is? Maybe you don't need to know exactly who it is. It says, yeah, I, I undo the netter. It doesn't matter the wife, doesn't matter the daughter. I don't need to know. I don't want to know what they're doing. I'll, I'll annul it. So maybe you don't need to know. Uh, that would be, if, if we compare it exactly to this all, all lavdafka about, about Kriya. Ravashi, Amaravashi says, Kan betoch kadei dibur. Whereas Yotze is within the time of speaking. We're going to define this in a few minutes for both sides. Hang on to your hats. Kan l'achar kadei dibur. And one is after kadei dibur, after he's done speaking. So he explains, When we say he's Yotze, the Kriya, even though he didn't know the specific person who died, Shanimsa Beno, he found out it was the son, Betoch Kadei Dibur, within the time of speaking. So he thought, he was, he was under the impression it was the father, and then they told him, hey, wait, it was, you know, we're sorry to tell you, it's actually the son. So if they told him that soon enough, we're going to see how soon, then he's Yotze, because really his action is still ongoing. We're going to see in the run. 
when he says not Yotzekriya, La'achar Kadei Dibur. That's when it was after, when he found out the real, the real fatality after the time of Kadei Dibur. Betanya and the Brisa teaches, someone has a very sick person staying in his house. Not, not a relative, just any person, any Jew. And this person passes out. Kedome, and he is under the impression, Shemet, he thinks he's dead. You know, he doesn't see a pulse, he doesn't see breathing. Vikara, and so he tears Kriya. Acharkach, and then afterwards, Met. And then afterwards, the person shows a sign of being alive. You know, they start breathing again, and then they do pass away. They do end up dying very soon after. Lo yatsa yede Kriya. So he's not Yotze's Kriya. He would have to tear another Kriya. Amr Yishimen ben Pazi, Amr Yishimen Pazi adds a chiluk here. That's only if it was a really later on. He, there was a fainting, a kriya, and then a gap in time, a significant gap, and then the actual fatality of all If it's right away, it's like he's still speaking, and he'd be yotze, the kriya wouldn't have to go back and tear again. The hilchata and the halacha, halacha lemaisa, there's always this Tochadei Dibor sort of buffer in time. Chutz, but there are exceptions. Mimigadef, God forbid, blasphemy. Ve'ove devodes kochavim, somebody who goes to church. Mekadesh, someone who marries a woman. Umegarish, and someone who divorces a woman. The Rambam here actually adds, he adds uh, being makdesh, a carbon, and being meimer, a carbon, doing tumura, switching a carbon for another one. So let's analyze why there is a Tocha de Dibor. What is a Tocha de Dibor? What is going on here? So the Ron here says an amazing, he says a couple amazing things, but in the wide, we're in the wide lines in the Ron under the Gemara, and we're on the fifth wide line in the Ron, uh, and, and he talks about the exceptions, but then he says an explanation why. So we're near the, we're, we're kind of, if you go right down from the left airspace Gemara, airspace gap from the Gemara, straight down, five lines down in the run. Venire be'enai, it appears in my eyes. Shebeshar mili, that in other things, the other things that are not these four exceptions, delo chamiri kulehai, things that are not so machmir and so permanent, like, uh, you know, a marriage and a blasphemy, God, these are permanent effects. Kishadam oseyotam, when a person does them, lo be'gemar daito hu ose, he doesn't do it with complete uh, conviction. He's not totally into it. You know, you understand what we've mentioned before, if someone's making a business deal, we're going to see, he brings, if someone's making a business deal, you know, they might say, yeah, I agree. Wait, wait, I back out. You know, and that's, that's allowed in halacha. That's the token of the deal we're going to see. So Ron says, his intention, his mindset is he's able to retract when he's still right there, right after he's spoken. Aval hani, but these four exceptions came into Khamiri Kulichai, they're extremely machmer, they're permanent effects. Ain Adam Oseyatam, a man does not do them, Gemura, with a complete uh, agreement in his mind, a complete conviction. So even if he were to retract within Kidei Dibor, if he would be Megadef, God forbid, blaspheme, and then say, wait, wait, I didn't mean it, that doesn't count. He's still liable, he's still guilty of blasphemy. And he brings another explanation. So according to the Ran, it's an umdina. It's a umdina is like a standing up and an assumption based on his mindset. So he says, he's going to say it has the status of a deraisa, but he brings another, another explanation that it's a derabonan. Moshe ben Nachman Zal. That's the Ramban. Uh, he writes from Rabbeinu Tam Zal. 
It's a takana de rabbanan, a rabbinical enactment. The tikkun rabbanan mishum talmud because of a student, halokeach mecca, who's he's in the department store, he's in the shuk, and he's uh, bargaining over a purchase. Upagabu rabo, and his rebbe walks by. He's able to greet his rebbe and be friendly and, and give kavod, give honor to the Torah, give honor to his rebbe, and then go back to the business deal. So he's allowed to sort of take that gap in negotiation. He might be saying, yes, uh, 10 shekel per, per kilo. He might be saying something like this, but then his rebbe walks by, and he starts talking to his rebbe for a second, and then he goes back. He says, really, it, it, should, be, it should be 9 shekel per kilo. He's able to do that because it's a tekona derabonan. Uh, so he's able to and they made an equivalent midah, equivalent measurement, a shear for everything, bar mahani, except for these four things. These four things were not included in the Takana, this blasphemy and divorce and marriage and avodah Velodichali, the Ram doesn't like the shot of the Ramban from Rabbeinu Tam. Ki uh, bezdin, because why? Is a bezdin, is a court able, matanin lakor dharma in the Torah, to uproot something from the Torah? Let olam bekumase. Uh, forever with an actual, um, you know, doing, they're, they're doing against what the Torah says, but Adarim, Elu, Vadai, He says, no, it's like me. So he says, otherwise, if you say, Tokade Dibor is a Durabanan, and Hafar Nadarim is Deraita, he says, how could it be this Durabanan is uprooting a Deraita, is going against the Deraita, that you're saying, well, you were Mekayim, and now you can just, just Tokade Dibor, if it's a Durabanan, uproot, he says, no. So he's saying, Tokade Dibor has a status of Deraita, not merely of Derabanan. Rabbeinu Tam says Derabanan, as we've said, because of business dealings, someone's allowed to greet his Rebbe. So how do you greet a Rebbe? Because that's Shaykh, we, we don't know yet how much is Toche de Dibor. So it's brought Lechalacha in the Shulchan Aruch, which is in my telephone. It's in uh, Yeridea 242.16, Reish Mem Beis in Yeridea. Lo yitin shalom l'rabo, velo yachzir lo shalom kederech shar ha'am. Someone's greeting his Rebbe. And we're talking really about a Rebbe Muvhak, a Rebbe that he's learned most of his Chochmah from, has this special status, this special kavod that we're talking about in Reish Membeis and Shulchan Aruch. So you don't greet the Rebbe like you just greet your buddy on the street. You just say, hey, how's it going? You never say, hey, how's it going to the Rebbe. Ela shoche lefonav, he should pause in front of him. Ve'omer lo b'yira v'kavod, and say with yira and kavod, things we've been talking about in Mesil Yisharim in the morning, Shalom Alecha Rebbe, Shalom Shalom Alecha Rebbe, Vim Naton lo Rebbe Shalom, if the Rebbe got him first, the Rebbe said Shalom first, Omer lo, you have to tell the Rebbe, Shalom Alecha Muri v'Rebbe, you add something on, if the other guy gets you first, you, you add something on, you give him an extra bracha. So it sounds like it's something that's not done, Shalom Alecha Rebbe, it's not like a two second thing, it sounds like a man has to pause, and look his Rebbe in the face and give him a real Gishmaka Shalom, give him a bracha. Saying Shalom Aleichem, it's a bracha. It's not like hello. Hello is like meaningless. Good morning already is a bracha. Good morning is nice. Someone says good morning, you could say amen, he's giving you a bracha. But Shalom Aleichem is definitely a bracha. Shalom is, is a name of Hashem. Shalom Aleichem, it sounds like something you've got two or three seconds, maybe four or five seconds. So the Achronim, they say maybe it's, it's three seconds, four seconds, five seconds. You know, if they're still in the same subject matter, you know, you can tell if someone's in a business deal, and they're talking about the specifics and the kilos and the prices and things like this, you know, and then they turn to something else, they're not definitely not within Tokhid Debar. But there's a little bit of wiggle room, it sounds like. Some say two or three seconds, some say four or five seconds. Is this Tokhide Debor? And what it sounds like from the Ran, the Ran who says it's an umdana, has the status of a deraisa. From the Ran, it sounds like it's it's not that we say, oh, it's a zuchos chazora, that he's allowed to retract. It's kind of like Ben Tam says, it sounds like we view time, we have a halachic understanding of time in these increments of tokh de dibor, that things aren't instantaneous. 
like you say the word and you're done and it's gone forever. It sounds like typically in halacha, except for these exceptions, that you have sort of this zechus chazar. And we actually see this in, in the Siddur, in Hilchas Tefillah, if somebody made a mistake and they, and they need to change their davening between Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, they, they said, they said uh, kadosh, they need a Melech kadosh. If they're right there, Tokhade Dibor, two or three, four seconds, they're allowed to go back. And that's a valid substitution, it's a valid tefillah, because according to the Ran, we look at time in halachic increments. Now we're going to see in Bab Metziah, we talk about Tokhade Dibor retracting. It's always talked about in a business sense. It sounds like the Rabbeinu Times Pshat, it's a Takana. It's kind of derabundance. You can greet your Rebbe and go back to business. But this Gemara right here, it really sounds like we're talking about Indian deraisa, hafar darim. It sounds like the Ran's Peshat is pretty good. I'm not arguing with Rabbeinu Tam. I'm not arguing with the Rambam, but the Rand is. And the Rand sounds pretty good, Rabosai. So it sounds like it's deraita, that we understand time in these increments. Time is not instantaneous, that we have a bit of a zechus hazara. So it's, it's, a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing lesson. And when we do something wrong, we should try to fix it right away instantaneously. You should try to be like, oops, let's, let's turn around. Let's fix that. Let's fix the tefillah. Let's fix what's going on and, uh, you know, move on to better things. Good. So that is Tokhade Dibor. This is a very important run. It's an underlined run. It's a good one. So go back and underline it before Shabbos, please. Uh, so the Mishnah, Omer, Amra, she says, the wife or the daughter, she says, Konam te'enim ve'anavim. Elu, She says, I'm making a netter. Remember, Konam from the first parak is slang for a carbon, slang for making a netter against this. So she's saying these figs and these grapes are a carbon. I can't eat them. So she's going on a, a low-sugar diet. Kiem, and the husband or the father, he was Mekayim. He, he established and affirmed the netter with regard to the figs. Kulo Kayim. So the entire netter is Mekayim. He, he says, I'm Mekayim you for the figs. And she said figs and grapes. So the Mishnah says it's all Kiem. It's all binding. Hafer letzeinim, he invalidates, annuls regarding the figs. Eina mufer, it's not, it's not a hafara, ad sheyafer aflanovim. He has to mention the grapes as well. So he has to be specific in annulling that he's annulling both of them. But by affirming, it sounds like he doesn't have to affirm both of them. The Gemara is going to explain why this is. Amra konam tseina shani She says, I'm taking a neder, a konam, against this one fig that I'm eating, ve'anava, and this one grape, that I'm not going to eat this one grape and this one fig. This is two different nadarim. Why she said, uh, She's saying two times. She's making it into two separate nadarim. And so the din is going to be, he can affirm each separately or annul each separately. So now the Gemara is going to have to figure out, how can this be that the, the affirmation, a partial affirmation is a full affirmation, but a partial revocation is not a full revocation. Mani Masnison, who, who is that? Who holds like this? Because we've actually seen in previous Prokim, we've seen that we have a concept, a, a neder she hufa mikzata hufa kulo. That if you undo part of a neder, you're undoing all of the neder. We're going to see who that is later on in Ahmed Base. So Mani Masnison, who is this Mishnah who holds that a partial, uh, partial hafara is not a full hafara? Rebbe Yishmael, that's a Rebbe Yishmael Mishnah. The Tanya, the Baraisa says, a pasuk we're familiar with. Her husband will uphold it, or, or her husband will mefer, will annul it. Uh, Amra, if she says, and then it brings an example. She says, She says, I'm taking a vow against these figs and these grapes that I can't eat them. And the husband or the father 
he, he establishes, affirms it regarding the figs. Kula Kayim. So that affirms everything. On Tamid base, Hafer Lutainim. He annuls with respect to the figs. Aina Mufer. It's not a valid hafara. He does not annul the vow. He has to annul the grapes. Also, divri Rabbi Yishmael. And that's according to Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Akiva Omer. Rabbi Akiva has a different opinion. Harehu Omer. He says, doesn't the Puzzik say, It puts them both together. It says her husband will mekayim, will affirm that vow, or her husband will annul the vow, will make for the vow. They puts them right together. It's a, it's a, it's like a, they're they're samuch. They're right next to each other. Ma yikimenu, mimenu. Just like being mekayim, yikimenu is any part of mimenu. If he's mekayim, any part of it, af yifreinu, mimenu. So too, when he's mefer, it's any part of it. So what, what the Rod explains is yikimenu has this linguistic, this grammatical letters mem nun vav menu, which literally means from it. So it's sort of this drusha that both Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Akiva are making. Yiki menu is yakim mimenu. So you see this, that a mem sort of menu from it, that we, a mem in certain words in scripture, we can sort of imply drusha from it. So yiki menu mimenu. So Rabbi Akiva's argument is, just like we have this implied drusha, yiki menu, when he's affirming, affirming part, he can affirm even mimenu, even part of it, it's valid for all of it. Because Yekimenu and Yifreinu are put together, so too when he's made for part, he's made for all of it. Rabbi Yishmael says, he answers Rabbi Kiva, Mikasiv Yafer Mimenu. It says Yekimenu, which we can read, we can have a drasha, Yakim Mimenu. He's establishing some of it, he establishes all of it. But by Yifreinu, it, it, there's no mem there. There's, it's not Yafer Menu or Yafer Mimenu, it's just Yifreinu. There's no mem. There's a non, but there's no mem. So he says, so Mishrael says, Rabbi Kiva, your, your drush is not good. Fine, you have a hekesh, you have reinu, yekimenu, but I don't. And you have this, and we both have this drush, yekimenu, mimenu, but your, your logic is no good. So after you have reinu, mimenu, Rishmael, mikasiv, yafer, mimenu, he says, it's not written yafer, mimenu, Rabbi Akiva, maki shafar, lehakama. So Rabbi Akiva has this hekesh because they're right next to each other. They'll have the same halacha, they're in the same pasuk, it's the same action, the same person. So he's mocking, puts them together. They din, they denim the laws of hafara and hakama. Ma hakama, just like hakama affirming a vow, mimenu, even part of it, because yakimenu, even part of it works. Af hafara, mimenu. So too, annulling a vow, even annulling part of it, is valid. Amar bichia baraba, mar bichiyochanan, bichia baraba says the name of bichiyochanan, zodivir yishmael, rabbi says, this b'risa explains the reasoning of rabbi yishmael, who's also in our Mishnah, and rabbi akiva that they have this drusha, yikimenu mimenu, and Rabbi Yishmael does not extend, ex, extend yikimenu to hafara, just to hakama, and Rabbi Kiva does, he has a hekesh to compare hafara to hakama, aval hachamim, but the other sages, omrim, they say, makish hakama lahafara. they have a hekesh, but not this mimenu, they don't care about this mimenu so much, but about the hekesh that hakama and hafara go together, ma hafara, ma shahafer hafer, whatever he annulled, he annulled, afakama, ma shakiyam kayam. So too, when he's upholding, whatever he's upholding is valid as an upholding. So as we, as we learned before, that uh, in the Gemara, I don't exact, remember exactly which stuff, that when, he, when someone undoes part of a netter, they undo all of a netter. And so too, it sounds like the, the being Mekayim the netter, it also sounds like this too. So it sounds like if the husband was just said, she mentioned figs and grapes, if he says just the grapes, it sounds like he's Mekayim for the grapes, it sounds like he's Mekayim all of it as well.
So the Gemara cites the Mishnah, Amra Konim Taina. She says, I'm making a vow against a Taina, against one fig. It sounds a little strange in the Mishnah, right? She's taking a vow against one fig, or one fig and one grape. It sounds like she's got one grape on her plate. I'm taking a vow, swearing I'm not going to eat this one grape. So it sounds weird, but then you realize there's a halacha, you can't eat just one. So you've heard of this, but there's like potato chips or something? I don't know which brand it is. There's potato Lays. chips out there. Lay's. So Lay's potato chips, you can't eat just one. That's actually a valid halachic statement. So what this woman is doing, she's saying, I'm not going to eat this one grape, that, that's, or this one grape and this one fig. So that's good, because a grape and a fig together add up to a kezayis, and you can't eat just one. That's a taisvus and brachas. That's, it's, not, it's not ad copy. It's not an ad slogan. It's a taisvus and brachas lametes. The taisvus says you can't eat just one. Trademark. He doesn't, didn't trademark. He should have trademarked it. That would, that would have been smart. So the topic there is shiurim by brachot, is the amount of food you need for brachot. What? We went from nedarim to, to the, the yivamo to brachot. Okay, good. So what, what the Gemara says is, when we say the shir is a kezayit for brachot on food, it says that's for the after bracha. For the bracha rishona, the bracha when you start a kosho, any amount, even like one little sprinkle that fell off the cake, you know, it should get a, it should get a bracha. Uh, but for after bracha, you need a kezayit. But the Tosfot brings that that's not so pashat. Because what if you ate one grape? One grape might not be a kezayit. In fact, it usually isn't. But it's a, called a birya. Some say a bria. Birya, bria, same thing. It's a creation. It's a unit of creation. It's a single grape or a single fig, a single zayit. Now, it's interesting because a zayit is not a kezayit. It used to be. A zayit used to be a kezayit. Kazayit is about, what, 28 grams? It's, it's about an ounce. So the, the ancient Kazayit in Eretz Yisrael, before the Chorban, before the Romans came in and killed out all the flora and fauna, you know, the Romans were not environmentalists. They killed out the native species of, of grapes, the olives that were very large and very plump, and they brought in their own, uh, you know, not as good stuff. Thank God, Baruch Hashem, the, the grapes in Eretz Yisrael are, are getting better. I don't know if they're more plump and bigger, but the wine from Eretz Yisrael, Baruch Hashem, we can endorse wholeheartedly. But anyway, the Romans killed the original species of, of zayit that was actually kezayit. So now the zayit we have nowadays, the Gemara explains, they're not a kezayit. You need two or three olives to actually get a kezayit. So what if somebody eats one olive? So they didn't get a kezayit. So they made the bracha rishonah. They made bray priyats. But the, the, uh, the alaets, the, the main shalosh, the bracha rishonah, they can't do because they don't have a kezayit. But since they ate a birya or bria, maybe they are chayev because it's a unit of creation. So maybe they do need to make the bracha. Therefore, Taisvot says, the halach inclusion is, you can't eat just one. Not allowed. And the Shulchan Aruch brings this, l'chalacha. So this is halacha l'maysa. You can't eat one grape. You can't eat one olive. You can eat maybe one fig if it's big enough, plump enough, a date or a fig. If it's big enough, if it's kezayit, you're not allowed to eat one grape or one olive. You can't eat just one. You have to have two or three or four until you get your kezayit and you can make your bracha chrono. Because there's a suffix. If it's a, if it's a birya, even one grape, you might eat a bracha but we don't make a bracha out of suffix, so you kind of quasi-stucks. You can't eat just one. That's a valid halachic statement. And this woman is making another against one grape because there's a chashivas in one grape. It's a birya, it's a bria. So, you know, she needs, a, she needs a bunch of grapes in order to make an after bracha. It's also interesting, while we're on a tangent, let's go on another tangent, is this woman knows the halacha about brachas. We find in other places in the Gemara, there are women who ask kashas on a halacha or they ask kashas on the explanation of a pasuk. There's a Gemara we had in Kesuvos. There was a crazy case where they were, they, you know, they did a get 
and they paid it, and the husband ended up holding the get, and the woman ended up holding the receipt for payment. And then years later, they're like, whoops, I've got the wrong documentation here. This is a big problem. So they say, well, what was she supposed to do? And the Gabar says, she was supposed to read it. She's supposed to read it. Now, why is, why is that weird that women knew halacha and psukim? 2,000 years ago, if you're, if you're familiar with history, 2,000 years ago, 99.9% .9 of humanity could not read. It's not, we don't realize this you know, on a regular basis. Not until like 200 years ago, maybe 500 years ago with, the, with the, the printing press in some places, we had people actually knew how to read. I'm talking about people besides Jews. Jews are the people of the book. We see even 2,000 years ago, Jews could read. This is why Rabbi Akiva was so upset. He couldn't read and write. He was so upset because most of them could. We see even Jewish women could read and write. It wasn't until very, in very recent history, just the blink of an eye in the, in the historical view that most people could read and that women were educated and could read, but Jewish women could read. So this, this Jewish girl is making it, she's aware of the Taisvos and Brachas Lamites. That's good homework also. It's the top Taisvos, uh, Butzer in, in Brachas Lamites about the Shirim, about you can't eat just one. That's a good one. So she was aware of this. So she was making a vow against one grape and one fig. I'm not going to eat these. She's going on low sugar diet, but she has a cheshivas to one grape, one fig. So that's the Taisvos. You can't eat just one. And that's Baruch Hashem. You should appreciate being the people of the book we could read and write, our women could read and write and study halacha 2,000 years before everyone else was doing it. So we have a little bit of a Baruch Hashem, a head start. So we, we got to keep going, you know, you know Baruch Hashem, we got to keep learning, but thank God we have a head start. So she's making this vow against one grape, one fig. Amarava Masnisin Rebbe Shimon. He says our mission is actually Rebbe Shimon. This part of the mission is Rebbe Shimon, not Rebbe Shemayel. Rebbe Shimon says a person is not chayev until there's a shvua on each one. So the Ron says, what are we talking about? Is when somebody denies knowing testimony or denies paying money. It's called the shvua sapikadon. He had five people show up at the same time. They all said, hey, you owe me money. You can imagine the guy just rolled back into town from a business trip and the five people he borrowed money from before the trip, they all show up at once and each of them say, you owe me the money. And he denies, he makes a blanket denial. He says, I don't owe anybody money. Making a shvua, I don't owe anybody money. Then if it turns out he did owe them money, so it's a shvua spikadon, and he's, he's, he's a high of malchus. He gets lashed for denying this. But if he only made one shvua, he's high of once. If he made a shvua for each of the five guys pressing him for the money, he's high of each time. So Rabbi Shimon said he has to, be, he has to make the shvua separately to each of his creditors who are accusing him in order to be high. So he says that part of the Mishnah is like him. So good. So let's read this Mishnah, even though we're not going to get into the Gemara today. We'll leave it for Shabbos. So the Mishnah says, Yodeya ani nadarim. I know there's such thing as Nadarim. I didn't know I could be Mefer. So this is a husband who's, you know, he says, I'm familiar with the concept of Nadarim. I've heard of this far as Nadarim thing, but I don't really know the Pratim. I don't really know the details. Yafer. So he can then Mefer, and we're talking about later on. So what's, what's going on here is on Monday, his wife or his daughter made a vow, and he heard about the vow on Monday. So technically, how long does he have to annul it? That day, that day, Monday, until, until Shkia, until, until the day is done. But he didn't realize, he doesn't have the mindset, he did not come to Dafyaimi, and he did not learn in Darim, and he doesn't have the mindset that he's allowed to hear the vow and then annul it. He doesn't know he has to annul it that day, he doesn't know he can annul it. So he's allowed to annul it later. It's not considered Yom Shmiya, as long as the day of his hearing, until he hears the vow and he knows he has the power to annul it. So it's interesting because sometimes we live in a situation that's not ideal. You know, we feel like we're stuck in a rut. And then we find out, we get new knowledge. We start learning Masilis Tisharim. We get new knowledge 
and we realize that the situation has been going on for a long time, but we realize we have the power to undo it, so the time to act is now. Now that we have the knowledge to change, even though the situation has been going on for months, for years, the, you know, whatever midos we're hanging on to that are not gishmak, that are not appropriate for us, once we have the knowledge to change it, it's upon us to change it right away. So Mish continues, he says, I know I have the power to annul Nadarim. I don't know this statement was a nether. Maybe she used a weird, she said konam, she used a weird slang word to make a nether. So the husband wasn't really aware that what she said was a halachically valid nether. He knows he has the power to annul Nadarim, but he didn't know this specific uh, lashon was a nether. So Rimeir Omer, lo yafer. Rimeir says, no, he's stuck. He should have figured it out. He should have inquired. If he could be Mayfer, he should have been Mayfer anyway. They say later on, when he finds out that what his wife, if his wife made the netter on Monday and the, the wording was strange, he didn't realize it was a halachically valid binding netter. Then on Wednesday, he finds out, yeah, that was a binding netter. She's a Nazira now. She can't drink the wine anymore. So at that time, he can be Mayfer. I mean, Mayor says, can't be Mayfer. So it's another thing. It's, it's another, it's another Mordic uh, concept to be aware of is if you, if there's a, potential problem, it might be a problem, go ahead and try to fix it now. Go ahead and get it under the wire. We actually have Lahabdil. We have a concept in the government, that works for the government, and some there's time limits to submit things and time limits to submit um, you know, objections to government actions. And if somebody sends us a letter, even though the letter doesn't make any sense, it has nothing to do with nothing, but Lamaisa, they sent us the letter before the time limit, so good, good, fine. So we accept that. We'll give them an extension of time and we'll let them submit something that's actually a valid statement, a valid argument later on. Um, we have three minutes left, so I, I just want to say one really interesting thing in the Tanakh that I didn't think we'd have time for is we remember that Shaul HaMelech lost his Malchus wives. And remember the specific what he failed to do that, that uh, the Navi said he lost his Malchus for? Amalek. Amalek. So what happens, it's an amazing thing, at the end of Shmuel Aleph, what happened was that David and Melech had his own army. So Shaul had the official army, the official Malchus, and David and Melech had this like breakaway minion, I mean breakaway army, breakaway Malchus. So you see, it's not a new thing to have a breakaway minion. David and Melech and Shaul, they, they had the same thing going on. So David had this breakaway army. He had 600 armed men, trained men. They were very successful. They'd been fighting Plishtim. They'd fight, they were very good at defending Am Yisrael. That's how David Melch got famous. He was defending Am Yisrael. And Shaul had the official army, the larger army. And what happened is this amazing thing. The Amalekim, and it's interesting because most of the Amalekim did get killed by Shaul. And he left a few survivors, the animals, the king. But there were other survivors. This was Mashma, is that Shaul did not pursue and wipe out all of the Amalekim. So then what happens is these Amalekim who survived, they come after David Melch And they attack Tziklog, his city where he was living. And they take away the women and the, and the children and everything. And David and Melch and his soldiers are very upset. They ask Ormid Tzumim. They say, go and chase the Amalekim. So Hashem tells David and Melch, go and chase the Amalekim and get back the women and the children and everything. And so David and Melch goes off chasing the Amalekim. And then meanwhile, the Plishtim attack and Shaul Melch takes the official army to go fight the Plishtim. And that's where he falls and dies in Goboa. Whether he fell on his own sword or he was killed by the Nar Maleki, it, it sounds like it, it's not so push it. There's different versions. Sounds like the Nar Maleki was lying. But can you imagine if Shaul HaMelech had killed out all of the Amalekim, they would not have been there to harass David HaMelech and his breakaway army. David HaMelech would not have needed to chase after them to get back the women and children. And David HaMelech's little breakaway army would have been available to help Shaul and protect Shaul against the Plishtim. 
So even though it's, you're saying like, oh, okay, so Shaul Melch lost the monarchy because he didn't wipe out Amalek. Okay, great. But then later on at the very end of Shmuel Aleph, the very beginning of Shmuel Beis, you find out, yes, exactly, because Amalek was still around, David Amalek had to fight with them and was not ava- available to save Shaul Melch from the police team. Amazing, amazing thing. So Tzorachin and the Tanakh, Baruch we learned some Tanakh today, learned some Malachal Amaisa today. You can't eat just one. Shkoyach Rebosai, Shabbat Shalom. Good Shabbos.